There's some very definitive language here. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus wasn't late. He was right on time. When the fullness of time had come. But I love the fact that He came to redeem us that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then it says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no more servants, but sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In Colossians, it tells us that we are hid with Christ in God. There is no more secure position than to be hid with Christ in God. Christ is the Son of God, and we have that position because we are in Christ. What a wonderful blessing that is. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, last time I was here a couple weeks ago, we considered the first two of four questions of Christmas. Um, we considered who the Christmas message came to and what did Jesus bring when he came on that first Christmas. And today, we are considering two more questions. Where did Jesus go when he came? And when did Jesus come? So we will consider those questions uh, after uh, we open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be here today, to be able to open your word, to be able to freely open your word. Lord, we just pray today um, that you would uh, be blessed by the many celebrations of your son's birth and that you would use this time to draw people to yourself who have been resisting thus far because we know that it is your desire that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. Lord, we know that some will will choose to perish but we pray that you would bring many to yourself this Christmas season, for there is no other more blessed way to live than to live in the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first question of the day is, where did Jesus come? I think it's pretty significant in the scriptures that when Jesus came to earth, He came to specific places for specific reasons. Nothing was a mistake to him. There are several times in the scripture where you feel like he's interrupted, but they're not interruption because Jesus knows. And it's important for us to know that nothing surprises Jesus, that he knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. So as we open our Bibles today, let's start... In the book of John, the book of John, chapter 1. And John wrote his book, his gospel, to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. When you study the history of John's day, there were already people 
um, trying to invade the early church and denying the deity of Christ. And so John is writing this book. He says in the end of his book, these things were written that you may believe and that believing you may have life through his name. Well, what is the most important thing for us to believe about Jesus? That is found in John chapter 1 and particularly in John chapter 1 verse 14 where we read John 1:14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth it's interesting that John starts out his gospel this way and then in 1 John how does he start it he says, that which we have seen, which our hands have handled. He's saying, Jesus, the flesh and blood, 100% human, was also 100% God. It's a combination that was never achieved before then and will never be achieved after that. He is God. We are human He decided to jump into the timeline of human history to redeem us. And so he is now and forevermore human and divine in one. Something that we will take all eternity trying to comprehend. So that was the first thing that Jesus did, was coming to earth. We read in, in one of Paul's Corinthians letters, For you know that for your sakes, though he were rich, yet he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And he came to the poor among us. Joseph and Mary were not the wealthy. They were not elite. They did not have a palace. He was not born to an earthly king. He was born to a peasant mother. But do you realize that even if he were born into earthly wealth, he would still be in poverty compared to what he had in heaven? As a matter of fact, in John chapter 17, what does he say to his father? He says, Father, I have done what you've said to do. I've finished the work that you have for me. Now restore to me the glory that I had Before what? Before the world was. Again, something that you and I, as mere mortals, cannot comprehend. So, where is the next place that Jesus went that we should talk about? Well, um, he went to Bethlehem. So let's look at Micah 5.2. And if somebody can get Micah 5.2 for me before I get there, they can stand and read it. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, who is going forth are from of old and from everlasting. So God told the prophet Micah that his 
son would come from Bethlehem. And we know that Joseph and Mary were not in Bethlehem when Mary got the news that she was going to have the Son of God. But we also know that there was a tax taken and it required them to go to their hometown. Luke 2 is where we are going next. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, one of the reasons that we can rely on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is that there are hundreds of prophecies that he fulfilled at his coming. And the mathematical odds of one man fulfilling all of those prophecies are astronomical. You see, God is a promise-keeping God. When he says that he's going to do something, he does it. And that is something that we should all be thankful for. It's significant to recall that Bethlehem means house of bread. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. So, Jesus being born in the house of bread made a lot of sense. It's also significant that one of the names for Jesus is that he is the son of David. Why is this significant? Because God told David that there would always be someone of his lineage on the throne of Israel. The only way that could happen is if there was an eternal being on that throne. And that eternal being is Jesus Christ. So the next place that we know Jesus went when he came to earth is Egypt. Let's go to Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Hosea 11 1. Was a child. I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So we see that God prophesied in Hosea that Jesus would be called out of Egypt. And Matthew brings this to our attention in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 2. 13 to 15. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews to explain how Jesus was the king of the Jews. All of the gospel writers had a particular reason for writing their gospel. And for Matthew, it was important to share the details about Jesus 
being the king of the Jews. And he records the story of the wise men and their whole purpose for coming was to seek the king of the Jews. But in Matthew 2, 13 to 15, we read, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Again, God keeping his promise, showing from the Old Testament that Jesus was indeed the revealed Son of God. Uh, then we have, where else did Jesus go? Let's go to Matthew 2.23. We're already in Matthew. And uh, we, say, we see here in Matthew 2.23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of, of by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So again, God has this plan. He's unfolding this plan. And it's important that his will be done. God's will will not be thwarted. Herod thought that he was going to thwart God's will by killing all the baby boys. God went to Joseph in a dream and sent him to Egypt. Joseph was obedient, and in being obedient, he thus fulfilled prophecy. He fulfilled the will of God. God's will will not be thwarted. This next one is a very important one as well. He came... When he came, where did he go? He came to Samaria. John chapter 4, verse 4. If you know anything about the Jewish culture, you know that the Jews would avoid Samaria. They would go out of their way and take an extra long trip to avoid Samaria. But Jesus knew that there was someone that he had to meet in Samaria. And John 4.4 4 simply says this phrase, and he must needs go through Samaria. And why is that? Because there was a woman at the well there that needed to be redeemed. That needed Jesus to intervene in her life. It was a mess. She came to the well at a time when most people wouldn't come to the well because she didn't want to deal most likely with other people. And Jesus was there. And he said, can you give me a drink? And then they started talking about the living water. And Jesus 
offered her life and life more abundant. And then it says in John chapter 4, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Remember, she was going there to get water, but suddenly that water was of less importance than what she had learned. The woman then left her water pot and went into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. And then in verse 39 it says, And many of, this, of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all things that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many, many more believed because of his own word. And they said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This woman started out the morning hopeless, probably alone. And by the end of the day, she was welcomed into the family of God. And welcomed even more people into the family of God because of her testimony. My friend, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you have a testimony. You have a testimony to share with your family and friends that Christmas is not just a holiday with gifts. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Christmas is about the greatest gift given to us that Jesus, the Son of God, left the royalty of heaven and came down to earth so that you and I could have the splendor of heaven one day. And I'm looking forward to that so much. Well, the final and most important thing that we see about where did Jesus go when he came? He came for one purpose. I heard a, a preacher stay, say, I think this past week or one of these past two weeks, that the stable is in the shadow of the cross. Jesus came to die. We read in the breaking of bread this morning about Simeon and how he, he told Mary that a sword would pierce her soul. And surely when she was standing on Golgotha's hill watching her, only, her oldest son die a horrible death for crimes he didn't commit, surely that sword was piercing her soul just as Simeon had said. This was the baby that she had born, that she had laid in the straw. She probably counted his fingers and his toes and marveled at his wondrous creation. She watched him learn to walk. She changed his diapers. 
And yet here he was. Redeeming her and all the rest of mankind. So let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Verses 18 and 19. Matthew chapter 20. 18 and 19. You know, Jesus in his time on earth told his disciples many times that he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, he says it this way, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and crucify him. And the third day, he shall rise again. And then we hear after the resurrection that they saw the empty tomb, and then, and only then, did they remember his words. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, if someone gets there before I do, uh, go ahead and read that. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can we just consider this for a moment? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. What does it say about Jesus? That he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Somehow, once again, in a way that we don't understand, he reaches into the hearts of men who do not seek after God, who have no righteous thought in their minds and hearts. And he gives them the faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes from them their heart of stone and gives to them a heart of flesh. And they are able to live a victorious Christian life in him. Paul, who knew all about the struggle of the human life, the Christian life, said this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the deliverer. He's the one. Remember in the synagogue he said, the Lord has sent me to set the captives at liberty and to bind up the brokenhearted. And for that, he was chased to the edge of a cliff. But praise the Lord, his time had not yet come. And so he passed by in their midst and went his way. 
Can you imagine what it must have been like to be that crowd that day? They're getting ready to throw him off the cliff and suddenly he's not there. There was another time when the, the religious leaders were like, go arrest Jesus, bring him to us. And the people that were charged with doing it came back empty handed. And what was the response? Why didn't you take him? Where is he? And they said, no man speaks like this man. The power of his voice was enough to have them hesitate at taking him captive. Why? Because he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have both power to lay it down and to take it up again. He proved this in John chapter 18. Because when he was in the garden... They came and he approached them. He didn't cower. He was bold. He he approached them and he said, who do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Let these go their way. In our Bibles, many times it says, I am he, but that he is italicized. What Jesus was saying then is, I am that I am. The God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush speaks to you now. And you know what happened when they heard that? They fell backwards. I often picture that scene and wonder how amazing it would have been to witness that. And then, of course, Peter, being the impulsive guy that he is, he takes a sword. And he cuts off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus, in his time of great distress, remember his disciples forsook him. They were sleeping when they should have been praying. He was grieving so hard and in so much distress that he was sweating drops of blood. And yet that Jesus reached out for Malchus and healed his ear. I don't know about you, but if I was Malchus, I would like to think that that would make me rethink my profession. I don't know what happened to Malchus. I don't know if we'll see him in glory or not, but I venture to guess his life was changed greatly after that day. So we've asked the first question. Where did Jesus go when he came? Of course, the ultimate destination of Jesus when he came was Calvary. And then he went into a borrowed tomb. He used it for only three days. And then he left it as it was. So this is the the next question that we must ask ourselves. Is when did Jesus come? We start out for that in Galatians Chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Galatians 4, 4 reads, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, 
than an heir of God through Christ. There's some very definitive language here. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus wasn't late. He was right on time. When the fullness of time had come. But I love the fact that He came to redeem us that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then it says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no more servants, but sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In Colossians it tells us that we are hid with Christ in God. There is no more secure position than to be hid with Christ in God. Christ is the Son of God and we have that position because we are in Christ. What a wonderful blessing that is. So the second fact that I want to bring out about when did Jesus come is that He came in these last days. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 Verses 1 through 5 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be unto him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God spoke to the people of Israel primarily and the world through the prophets, prophecy after prophecy for hundreds of years. The first Christmas passage, of course, being in Genesis chapter 3. God said, Adam and Eve, I know that you chose sin over me, but I'm still going to provide a way of redemption. And one of my favorite pictures that goes around Facebook this time of year is a picture of Eve standing next to Mary and putting her hand on her belly and realizing that redemption is nigh. And what a wonderful blessing it is that the first person that he told about his completed redemption after the resurrection was a woman. I just think that's a great picture and it's such a blessing to me how God is so good to all of us. The next aspect of when Jesus came is in due time. In due time. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. Romans 5, 6 to 8. 
there are so many uh, great passages of Scripture that it's hard to say a favorite, but this is definitely one of my favorites because I often feel weak. And here's what it says in Romans 5, 6 to 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lest we think we have any power to affect salvation. This passage is here to remind us that we don't. While I was yet without strength, Christ died for me. While you were yet without strength, Christ died for you. If you have not yet experienced the redemption that is available through Jesus Christ, might I urge you that the Bible says, when the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Paul simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's quite simply one of the hardest things to do because it's so simple that we want it to be harder because we have a hard time believing that it's as simple as it is. And it also signs us up for a life of self-sacrifice and submitting our will to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. Did you know that the Bible says that God has counted every hair on our heads? I know people have tried in the past to count the hairs on a human head. I mean, for some people it's easier than others. But for the most part, it's a very difficult thing to do. But God knows. The hairs on our head are numbered. And that's just amazing to me. That God knows us that well. And remember what the woman at the well said. He knows everything I ever did. And some of the sins I've done are not that good. Matter of fact, they're downright evil. And heinous to God. But you know what? He loves me anyway. He knows everything I ever did. And he still says, I love you with everlasting love. And I want to bring you into fellowship with me, not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of my Son, which He imputes upon you when you believe. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. I just have one more passage to share. When did Jesus come? Well, the exciting thing for us as believers is that He's still coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, 
even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shell, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is a passage that I have loved ever since I memorized it as a teenager. And it's such a wonderful promise to us that no one who believes is going to be left behind. The dead in Christ will rise first. That means my brother, John Michael, my grandparents... They're going to rise first. And then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord. And at that time, we will receive our glorified bodies. Bodies that do not know decay or corruption or pain. There will be no wheelchairs in heaven because they won't need to be there. I'm looking forward to that day. And I love that Paul ends this passage with wherefore comfort one another with these words. I know some things just stick with you throughout life, but I remember hearing one pastor say that he wasn't sure that we would recognize each other in heaven. And I truly believe we will because... Why would Paul write all of this and then say, wherefore, comfort one another with these words? You know, there are days when I miss my grandparents and my brother horribly and I want to be with them. And I know that I know that I know that one day I will see them again because they are in heaven, because they believe my grandparents believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And John was a child, unable to make the decision to follow Christ. So I believe he's been accepted into heaven. David said of his unborn child that died after his sin with Bathsheba, he will not come to me. But I will go to him. We can have comfort in the sorrow of this world that we will see our loved ones again. And for the life of me, I don't understand how unbelievers deal with the death of loved ones. I couldn't handle death if I didn't realize that Jesus had conquered it. But it's not to be feared by us anymore. Because death is a beginning for the believer, not an end. For surely there 
is a hereafter, and your expectation will not be cut off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christmas Eve. Thank you for the anticipation of Christmas Day. Thank you for the the willingness that we see in Mary and Joseph to do your will. And I pray that we, like them, would be willing to do your will as well. That whatever you ask of us, we would say, let it be according to your word. I pray that you would go with these families, that you would bless them. Thank you for Bob and Charlene and their testimony of 59 years of marriage. Lord, we need godly, solid marriages today. And we thank you for them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.